Welcome to the Another Startup Story podcast. My name is Carmen, your host, and together we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around entrepreneurship, storytelling, and creativity. So we'll delve deep into our careers, our businesses, our passions, and especially our visions. And you are invited to learn and lesson with me. Um, and so on today's show, we have a really exciting guest with us here today, here in Singapore. We have Simone Heng. Oh, thanks, Hi, babe. How are you? Hi. Good. Good. Um, yeah, so Simone is a professional keynote speaker. She is a very sought-after international MC and former broadcaster. Um, and over her one and a half decade long career in the entertainment industry, Simone's job was to really build memorable connections with audiences on stage, on air, online, and one-to-one. Um, and she's she's very worldly, and she's been traveling for, you know, she's constantly been living and, and hopping between countries from the age of 17, and she was originally based um, on air in the Middle East with Virgin Radio's award-winning Virgin Radio Dubai. Um, she's also studied speech writing in London under Tony Blair's former speechwriter, Philip Collins. Um, and, you know, with her cross-continental uh, adventures, this has allowed her to become a true student of human connection, of which we'll delve uh, much deeper into in today's episode. And so she now speaks to organizations on connection techniques, which will transform how you work, um, how you live, and meet people in a world where, you know, disconnection is really um, growing with the digital space and everything. So, yeah, really exciting. Um, I guess on the show, we, we tend to showcase a lot of, you know, not only business leaders, but leaders who have a specific voice in one niche, um, and especially female leaders. So we're really excited to have you on the show today. And in this episode, I think we want to talk about and cover becoming a master speaker um, and presenter. Uh, and you've worked with some amazing brands in the past. Um, and so we really just want to explore the public speaking secrets that kind of move audiences. Okay. And like, I've seen you speak and it's just, it's so captivating where you, when the way that you tell a story and it's um, just really well articulated. And so I guess for our listeners, I just want to know where you should even start with storytelling. And this is not even necessarily up on a stage speaking, but even in, you know, branding mm-hmm. or, or personal branding. Um, and how do you get people to, to really connect with you? Um, and yeah, we'll explore so many more other things. So let's okay. get started. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. Good. I've had some of your popcorn, it was great. <laughs> it's um, and butter. <laughs> it's very, I can tell, because it's so much yummier than naked popcorn, like when it's just Yeah, normal. very Moorish. <laughs> So do you want to just introduce yourself and you know, tell us where you're from, what's your background? Yeah, so I'm um, Singapore born. Uh, my parents are Singaporean, my dad's Chinese and my mum is from a minority here in Singapore called um, with the community of Eurasians here. Um, and I just say that because most people think I'm half Australian because of my accent, but um, culturally very much a Singapore girl. Uh, left Singapore at three with my family and they migrated to Perth and Western Australia where I was raised for 17 years until I got a scholarship to study in St. Gallen in Switzerland. So I went off and I got to live there and study in a school and made some amazing friends and lived with some incredible families and got to pick up German as a language and I understand the Swiss dialect as well. And that, that's incredible. And I still, I was just there in October, I still go back. And um, it's proved to be a very important safe place for me as my own real family shrinks. Mm. I now have like, two second mothers there basically so gives me a lot of comfort knowing switzerland's there and singapore is a lot closer to fly to it than perth so it's great um 
And then after that, I went back to Australia to do my university degree. So I did a communications and cultural studies degree uh, at Curtin with a minor in performance studies. And that's important because it's basically everything that you need to be a speaker, which I never appreciated <laughs> when I was a broadcaster, but wow, they actually gave me they actually trained me much more for my second career than they did for my first yeah. um, at the time when I didn't even know what a professional speaker was. Um, and then I, during that time, uh, in my final year, my dad actually passed away of cancer very suddenly and it really changed my life. And like a lot of people who lose a direct family member, it does instill this sense of mortality in you, which you yeah, never had before. Like one of your other podcast um, interviewees that I listened to as well who lost his dad very much a similar experience to him and I decided that if I wanted to live a life that was full I had to do it now instead of waiting so my dad basically did what a lot of Asian immigrants in Western countries do he worked seven days a week for 20 years at a small shop um, and thought he was building towards a retirement which never came and I think that that was really confronting to me the thought of my own mortality and that working for your retirement is ridiculous. You need to do what you love and feel like you're kind of mm. having a little bit of your retirement every every week, Absolutely. one or two days so a week. Why um, delay your retirement? Why yeah. delay? I had this conversation at dinner and I was people violently opposed to me um, about oh, this, really? but I'm glad you agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah that I mean, they, have you read Tim Ferriss's 4-Hour Workweek? Yes, yeah. yes. But the guy at this dinner was almost like a new Anton Casey. If you don't know who Anton Casey is, like Google yep, yep. who that person is. And that guy was kind of like this sort of expat. So it was, it was, right. <laughs> we, we didn't come from any of the same viewpoints. So it was never going to be, I know. And then I just think, <laughs> I'm such a feminist. I should just be quiet and uh, be, be mute and not give my opinion on things. Anyway, so um, that sense of mortality drove me to move to Singapore in 2005 with no EP, $500 in my wallet, oh my and no completed university degree. My mother stopped talking to me because my mum is really big on education. She's Quite um, traditional uh, Well, she's a former teacher at uh, Raffles Girls School, which is like the Dead Poet Society School of Singapore. It's the most elite girls school in the country. So my mother very much wanted my sister and I, which my sister still is, <laughs> to be kind of female leaders and to be intellectual. And she, in her mind of that era, not having a degree made you dumb mm. by society standards. So for her, it was heartbreaking after already the heartbreak of losing my her husband. So she didn't talk to me for six months. So I moved to my auntie's HDB in Topayo Heartlands, one of the oldest HDB estates in Singapore, and lived in a room with no air conditioning on grills on the windows back in 2005, while traveling to KL to be a music VJ, a video journalist for a music channel called Channel V International. And so that's how it all started. And uh, was very lucky, just kept hustling, did TV commercials, did some commercial modeling, went to the Philippines, did some modeling, and then got my first TV gig with HBO Asia back in 2006. So was regionally doing um, their movie news show back at a time where HBO had not made Game of Thrones or Sex and City. So it wasn't even really that well known as yeah. a brand. But during that time, I got a job on the radio on the side at Power 98, which is like the number 15 station here in Singapore and was hustling literally for pittance on the side of this TV gig, which they allowed me to shoot on a Saturday. And then I would work at the radio during the week 
Um, and after eight months of doing that, I got this email from Virgin Radio Dubai, and this is the power of manifestation, mm. that to my website and said, how would you like to come and live and work in the fastest growing city in the world? And at the time that was Dubai, just before the global financial crisis in 2009, or to, at late 2008. And I, at this time, was having a, such a tough time in Singapore because if you don't earn good money in an expensive city like this, it's brutal, it's really brutal. And I felt really alone, very disconnected, was still not used to expat life yet and the expat scene. Now, of course, I'm very seasoned and I know how to navigate it in multiple countries, but at the time did not. Mm. And then I um, was able to move over with a full package to Dubai and stay there for half a decade, loving it, every moment of it. And then got a phone call one day that my mum had had a paralyzing stroke, moved back to Perth for one and a half years to take care of her. Mm. And at the same time, managed to get a gig on Australian radio. So did that for 18 months and then had to clean my mother's house, this huge eight bedroom monster of a house of her 25 years of Asian hoarding and my dad's 25 years of Asian hoarding so that we could rent that house out and get my mother into a nursing home facility yeah. because she needs two full-time carers because she's disabled. So this was all very confronting. And like, I can talk about it now, but there was a time when I, I couldn't even talk about this without crying. And then from there was like, what is the closest global city to Perth? Because as a global person, that environment was no longer feeding me intellectually. I was not growing. And when we don't grow, we become unhappy very quickly. Yes. And so I looked to the closest global city. And even though I had had a really tough time in Singapore before, nothing looked worse to me than living in suburbia. So as an alternative to suburbia, I was like, yes, go back Singapore, to Singapore yeah. and yeah. make it work. And you learn something really important here about work life, brothers and sisters, like, signing contracts and accepting offers when you're in a low and vulnerable position is a really bad move. So I was really lucky. I had my mentor from Virgin Radio who was living in New Zealand at the time. And he said, you, this situation, with your mom, you have forgotten who you are. Remember who you are and what like you the brought to in Lion King. Yeah. He's like, remember who you <laughs> are. Remember that. what you bring to the table and go back in and negotiate. So I negotiated and I got more to the salary, but what I couldn't have anticipated was the working the toxicity of the working conditions in that company. So I was four years on the radio within that company, who shall remain nameless, with the kind of extreme bullying from two senior colleagues and a female manager that in any other market you could take to HR and get, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. even my sister who's a lawyer in Australia was like, why don't you go in, come on Simone, why don't you go and tell the HR, stop complaining? And I was like, well, HR does nothing. well in Singapore, HR is on the side of the company, not yeah, on totally. your side. And that's something I'm really passionate about when I speak to organizations now as yeah. well about connection. Um, because what I actually saw was the lack of human connection within that workplace was affecting how the content was connecting with the audience. Yeah. I mean, if you're coming from a dark, cold, toxic place, you're going to produce content that lacks all of the life that it needs to connect with people. Mm -hmm. And so then I started exploring the world of speaking to be able to get all of this content that was inside me that was being birthed, being born inside me out in other to ways, to share it with other ways because I was creatively dying in that institution. And, um, and it all happened just so perfectly that it 
the same time as my second two-year contract came up, I'd also saved enough money to be able to go and that I started booking paid speaking gigs. The universe really, like the good karma you sow really does come back. All the sacrifice I made for my mum, I feel in July of this year, like hit me like a ton of bricks and it was like bathing in good karma. It was incredible karma. It was incredible to know that all that suffering was you worth, know, something, it, worth something. And and so anyone who's suffering right now, probably going through much worse things than I experienced, um, the good days are coming. Don't worry. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so then that brings us to July of this year, setting up, um, registering my own company in Singapore and employing myself under that company and working full time now as a professional speaker. So Amazing. that's where we are. Sorry, it's a really long yeah, story. Yeah, no, society is important, I think, to know the full picture and see, yeah. you know, where you came from. And I think that's what I love about telling these stories is just, just like people can like research you and look at your website and look at your YouTube videos and your features in magazines. But at the end of the day, they only really, you know, show the glossiness yes. and the, the glam and, and all of that. Well, the but story, know, you know, this is why people need with personal branding stuff. I just did a speech, um, a side session to my human connection speech in Koh Samui for an organization talking about why your bio is now being used in the corporate world instead of a CV because your bio fills the gaps in the story in a way that your CV cannot. Mm -hmm. And then even more so when you show vulnerability in that bio, like mm -hmm. when I get on a stage, that really is telling my story in its full picture and what I felt, what I thought, what, what I experienced at mm -hmm. that time. Yeah. Um, fills all the gaps which i wasn't being allowed to do at that organization so they would say things like don't talk about you've been an expat in dubai before you can't talk about what we want to market you as fully singaporean so i could see that my story which is what we live we live our stories was no longer in my control mm. um and that was excruciating for me yeah because essentially it's muting you it was muting it's me. like yeah it's covering who you really are uh, not showing your full, full picture yeah. and, and that's the thing i think a lot of people i think slowly the world is moving towards people are multifaceted and in the past people would be there's very much that whole assembly line where people mm -hmm. had to do that one tiny job in that one specific department or whatever but slowly and slowly people are realizing we have so many different passions, so many different interests, and that actually we should be able to express ourselves creatively and in the full spectrum of whatever it is we are mm -hmm. made up of and what we've been through. And I think you're right, it shouldn't be limited to our CV, you know. Yeah. And I hate a lot of old fashioned companies who purely look at CV and say, oh, no, you haven't got this. Like, I think there's a huge it's, shift it's in that still, now. Huge yeah, but I still that. think it's quite a problem, especially here in, in Singapore. Yeah, I think. yeah, in Asia you know? particularly, yeah. But, um, but yeah, so so how many countries have you actually lived in? Um, and my question for you is, how do you think travel, travel has been, you know, because I travel a lot and I think it's been an amazing tool to kind of broaden my mind and mm -hmm. make me more open-minded. And I've learned like so much, like nothing that any classroom could have taught me. So, and I think the same applies to you. Um, so how do you think travel has been a kind of a great tool to kind of make you more worldly and more open-minded? I think firstly, when we look at the definition of travel, I have to pull that apart because I'm not, I don't consider myself a traveler. I consider myself like a serial expat. 
So I'm interested in the intricacies of the everyday living of the people in that city and what it's like to be part of that community. So how much is a meal of Kaya toast? How much is a coffee in that city? How much is rent in that city? As opposed to a traveler, which we look more like maybe a tourist or someone who likes to go on trips to different places and explores different cultures on a short-term basis. I'm a long-term stayer. Like for me, what turned me on in my 20s was the process of adapting to a new culture and mm. learning that new culture. And it still does. Yeah. It's just after you do, you know, six or seven moves on your own as a single woman, um, it's a huge effort. And yeah. I, I think as I get in now, I'm 35, you do want to nest a bit and yeah. put down roots a bit. So, Definitely. but it, certainly my whole 20s was just a decade of hopping back and so forth between Australia, Singapore. Down. Yeah. yeah um, and definitely, I always loved my life in, in the four years that I was with that organization. I loved my life outside of that organization. So I realized that if I could change my work situation, I would definitely choose Singapore as a home um, because I have both sides of my family here. So when it comes to Christmas and Chinese New Year, I'm taken care of. I don't fly off like a lot of other um, people with similar accents to me would probably you know mm -hmm. fly off back to their home country yep, or so yep. what I, I, I get to stay so I think it's massively broadened my mind like I was recently in Perth at this baptism and most of my Singaporean migrant family that have lived in Singapore think Australia is the best country in the world they have no real comparison point they remember Singapore it's like the Jersey Shore Italians remember Italy. It's like how they remember Singapore. Like, like they still think people in villages and kampongs and like it's so 1975, 1980 yeah, yeah. idea. And of course, I don't argue with them because when people give up one life to move to another, they need to have the peace and feel that the new choice they've made is better. Yeah, so I don't course. say anything. Yeah. But obviously, the more you travel and the more you've been away, um, there's... I think Crazy Rich Asians really shook them up a bit, though, because it was mainstream media. They couldn't ignore it, right? Yeah, they were like, maybe something in Singapore is different. But, um, but yeah, I think I think interestingly, um, it's massively it, it's massively been beneficial to me. However, it's not a benefit in repatriation. So when I went back to Australia, this global mindedness, the way that my mind immediately you know, if I go through an experience in one culture, I immediately compare it to, oh, what would be the equivalent of this in Switzerland? Or how much um, would this experience cost in Australia? Or like, how much would this speaking gig get me in Australia? I would not be able to get this mm -hmm. money, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, now, those skills, the way that my brain aggregates that information, that is useless in a market like Australia or maybe even North America or Canada where it's a market of its own. Right. So. It, it's not going to make your life easier when you repatriate, but mm -hmm. it sure as hell is amazing if you live in a global city, New York, Singapore, Hong Kong, um, Dubai, mm -hmm. all these places. It, it, incredible skill to have. It's really something I'm, one of the things I'm most grateful for. Yeah, just learning, having the ability to adapt to change. Really. Yeah, like, to, and to code, to code switch in your communication, which is what mm -hmm. I talk about in the human connection speech. It's like I've become um, a very fast code switcher what do you mean by code switcher? So I can talk with your security guard downstairs as if he's my uncle. <laughs> yeah. And then cool. I can come up to your apartment with you and talk about what it's like to be a global Asian. And then I can go home to my partner who's a white Brit and communicate in a way that makes him feel totally comfortable and not excluded as well. Yeah. Um, that really That's has helped. That's, yeah. that's getting to a level of mastery in communication, which 
would not be useful once again in an Australian environment mm -hmm. or an American environment, but is extremely useful in terms of business in um, Singapore. Not useful at my last company, which was very local, but very useful in the work I do now, talking to MNCs, working with um, global companies in Singapore, extremely amazing. Because yeah, I can absolutely. now speak to their Asian employees in a way that they understand as well as their um, West employees. And with the way the government does the employee quotas in Singapore, most um, companies have some spectrum of international as well as local mm -hmm. components. Yep, yep. So hugely um, fortunate. Yeah, so being able to kind of, yeah, communicate between Pivot the Pivot my communication. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think also to your point about moving, I think moving is very different to traveling or just like visiting a country. Yeah. And when you so move, different. it's like, it's so different. Like the way I see Singapore, to, I mean, I hadn't actually visited before, but I can only imagine even like with London, like living there to visiting is so different. Two completely like different, different things. Yeah. London's a hard city to live in. I get seduced yeah. every time I visit and I'm like, oh my honey, don't be seduced. It is very different living here and catching the tube. Then I have um, one of my mum's students came to visit her while I was just in Perth. Um, my mum taught these girls 40 years ago and she goes, Simone, why do you want to go out to Singapore? The lifestyle in, a, in Perth is so good. And I said to her, you know, visiting and holidaying is not the correct gauge of what it's like to, to live, live yeah, in a country. Absolutely, yeah. And that's, that's my PC way of just mm. saying that to everyone about anywhere. Just, I get asked a lot, like, I should move country somewhere, what should I do? I said, firstly, really examine the reasons why. I did a video on this for my IGTV. Really examine the reasons why you want to do this move. Is it based off what you perceive your experiences are on holiday? Mm. Yeah. For people who want to move abroad, just say, you know, just say people are looking for a new start. They want to, they're getting very bored of where they're living at the moment. They're looking for new opportunities. What kind of things do you think, because there's so many reasons to move abroad. What kind of things do you think they should think about before deciding where to move? Um, I think you should really look into the cost of living. You should look, look into politically what's happening in that region. Um, because that will, obviously what we see what's happening with Hong Kong, like these things will affect your quality of life. Mm. Um, you also need to look at what the rates are for what you do in that country. For example, the rates for a radio announcer in Dubai, are very different to the rates for a radio announcer in Singapore or Australia. Then you have to look at the tax. There's no tax in Dubai, for example. Mm. So all of these things need to be looked at to get an idea of your quality of life. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. says this from the girl who moved to Singapore with $500 in a wallet and had, <laughs> and had, as a result, a really tough time that I didn't, it didn't need to be that tough. Yeah, but you learn. Well, it all happened in the way I don't regret a thing. Giving, I don't have, you know, sharing your wisdom. And yeah, well, it all, yeah, I mean, it seems all, <laughs> seems all amusing now, but back then. Yeah, yeah, it's scary. Sometimes you just have to take the first step, right? Yes. Um, but yeah, so, so you just mentioned you often speak about kind of mastering the art of human connection. Um, and obviously in this digital, digital age, it is a really hot topic. Um, can you talk a bit about how you think we can identify the authenticity of, you know, a connection and, and to connect with people more profoundly and memorably, yeah, you know, how sure. do we go deeper in conversations and in our interactions with people? I think firstly... And business too. In business as well. So I think firstly... Um, you've got to you've got to really I mean in order to identify the authenticity of your connection reciprocity is the easiest way I get asked to speak to a lot of salespeople and 
this is a big thing too you know reciprocity is huge like if someone is not replying to your messages even though yes you want a sale um that's that means that that person has distrust for you we only have authentic connection when there's trust trust is the cornerstone of connection right Mm -hmm. even with our friendships when you move as to a new country like you have Carmen, and you're making new friends you know you want to see that the other person is also equally um admiring of you equally wanting to tee up time to catch up Mm -hmm. with you that reciprocity is really important you shouldn't be pushing a boulder up a hill um, in order to make once there's a connection made so that's a big one to test for authenticity um, in order to communicate more memorably I mean my mum's the original human connection superior on this these women 40 years later after she's taught them are flying 4,000 kilometers to the nursing home to visit her I mean I don't remember any of my school teachers so I, I went to interview some of my mum's students to find out what she did and what my mum did is and and we have to there's a there's a fine art to this my mum blurred the lines between personal and professional by showing that she authentically cared about the welfare of the students so she had a big party at her house where she invited all the girls over and she taught them how to cook things um she would bring my sister and i's babies to the school to show to the girls in the class where her colleagues at the time weren't and probably still wouldn't do that So what my mother tried to do is the stuff that we talk about in the corporate world now, showing vulnerability, showing your humanity Mm -hmm. in a a leadership role. My sister, my mum was doing that 40 years ago. And but there's a fine line now, particularly if you're a Caucasian male. The tips that I'm telling you, because of the Me Too movement, you have to be a bit more Mm -hmm. careful, like inviting girls over to your house is probably not a thing you (laughs) want to be looking into. Um, But that's what I'm put on the planet to do, to hopefully write a book and share more on these things. It's a fine line. Well, yeah, yeah. when we say it's an art, it really is an art. But but I think that that's really the key to connecting deeply is when, when you meet people, you're going deeper than the the role for why you're there. For example, last night I was at the Australian High Commissioner's house for this Christmas party, and I was connecting with um, a lady there who's managing the event I'm hosting for them for Australia Day. Mm-hmm. And immediately we got there, and I noticed that she's Australian like me, but ethnically she's not. Right. And so we started bonding on that, and then she quickly opened up to me about even though she's been in singapore for seven years how she really hated it for the beginning and do i have tips on how she can um feel more comfortable and more part of life here and then i was able to add value so you're memorable when you add value you provide information or value recommendations for people tips for people Mm. so adding value is really important that makes you likable immediately but also taking the conversation away necessarily from the direct reason why you're there and warming people up with facts and stories that show that you really care about that person. That makes you memorable Mm. rather than just going, oh, um, this girl, this woman is here and technically I'm going to be working for her. She's the event organizer and I should just talk to her about the event because surely that's all she cares about. And and that tends to happen a lot in Asia because there's a lot of fear. Yeah. Um, because what I wor- realized working for a Singaporean company, fear exists because the punishments for making mistakes are so much higher than in a Western working environment. So a small error in an email then leads to a reprimand of shame mm. where people are CC'd in. Yep, and yep. this was done to this me. This creates anxiety. This creates anxiety. It's toxic. 
shaming people on email or even in person at a meeting mm -hmm. is not yeah. a productive way to gain trust, get your team to work for totally. you, be a great leader. It's hugely damaging. Yeah. Um, and that is why that also exists in the connection culture. Yeah. Because people are so scared. Like, I must kowtow to this event organizer, make her realize that um, I care about the event and the event is my top priority. What about showing the event organizer you're a human? Yeah, totally. I agree. I definitely see this a lot in my previous workplaces where it's just so much passive aggressiveness. Yes, and, it's like, yeah. and I've always been quite an empathetic, compassionate, compassionate person. person. And so it would really hurt my soul when I would see this toxic behavior, like even to me or, 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 or to other people. Me, and you're just like, like, are you okay? Like, you know, now like, that I no longer work for that organization, there was an incident where a girl was being really talked to like a dog by my direct manager in a three people meeting with me and my co-host at that time. And I really regret to this day, even though that girl was not very nice to me either, the one that was getting it. I really regret um, at that time, not just now that I've left and I don't feel any fear anymore mm. for my employment pass, because now I have my own. I really feel that I should have turned around and said, that is so not funny. okay that you talk to people like that. Yeah. Um, so I suppose that also has seeped into why I'm studying human connections so thoroughly now mm, it's so important and i think there's so much crossover it's not even just like the old school the way that people have spoken to at work but also looking at how this digital age is changing things and how um i think we come on to a bit later but actually i think it was i wanted to talk about there was a um there was a document that I saw recently. It was actually an ad advertisement done by Leo Burnett Madrid. And it poses the question of how much time we have left with our loved ones. And it was basically an advertising tool for calculating the time we have left to wow. spend with the people we love. It's really quite sad, actually. You should watch it. Um, and this kind of algorithm um, raised awareness on how valuable our relationships really are. And the results were just shocking. I think most of the time people assumed they have like, years left of their yes. loved ones. And it was actually like talking days um, and months. And so... Particularly if you live away from your family. Yeah, exactly. And so the call to action was obviously very loud and clear and, you know, purely that we need to see more of each other as opposed to connecting just on social media. Um, so yeah, my question is, how do you think you know, we can start prioritizing spending time with loved ones and yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, I think the biggest blessing out of my father dying when I was 19 was that, um, it made me realize like, wow, that, you know, things are finite. And, um, and I think in terms of prioritizing that time, you, you book it in, book your mindfulness time, your fitness time, your work time, oh, sorry, your time with your family, like you book in your work appointments and make them non-negotiable. So for the four years that I was working here at that radio station, all my annual leave would just be spent, so I didn't go anywhere else from besides Perth for four years, um, would be spent with my mother in that nursing home. And that was booked in because of a verbal promise that I made mm -hmm. to my mother. And now it's great because I can travel whenever I want and work alongside her. But you have to book it in. Mm. Book in those phone calls. I, I noticed from my partner, men do this less than women do. Women are, that you know, they do studies as to why elderly women, after they pass away, their, their partners, their husbands pass away very soon after because the women in the house were used as the scheduling tool right. for the dinner parties and meeting with people. And then when the woman is around to do that anymore, the men are struck by this, like, wow, um, yeah. 
what do I do? How do I, where's the phone numbers? How do I even do this? So you have to, men or women, book in those phone calls with the people you love. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. So just a couple more questions. I really want to go into your, um, you know, obviously your career as a speaker. So you mentioned the power of storytelling and how this is obviously, it has the power to shape people's lives and, and our listeners' lives. Where, where would you suggest we start our stories when giving you know, a speech or trying yeah. to, yeah, in any kind of capacity? And what can you do if you don't have a great story? Um, I think, firstly, everyone has a great story. It's the execution of the great story. And largely, great stories are made up of lots of smaller anecdotal stories. But great storytelling happens in the writing you have to be able to on some level write and use writing techniques like um, you know the rule of three alliteration Um, a lot of the ways that my stories are crafted are because I've always loved reading stories watching stories I read voraciously I'm a movie buff so when you're consuming content on that level you get a very quick idea for how a story should feel when it's satisfying how the arc of the story should feel so if you don't consume third-party content start now Mm. consuming lots and lots of content to become a better storyteller but also read more because that will help you work on your writing skills yeah Yeah, um, it's been amazing for me yeah i think i think definitely like the um the beauty of a story is in the writing the best storytellers can write the good stories first before they can speak them yeah do you write a lot yes as in like on a, a journal like, uh, um, journal. I, you know, I, I used to journaling. um i used to also I, I was one of the youngest national newspaper columnists in singapore back in 2006 wow. so and i did you know some um uh create what was my major literary studies was my major at university so I had to submit loads of papers and I've always even as a child my mum was a literature teacher like I've always been able to write Mm -hmm. and so but I lost that for about 10 years in entertainment I got really dumb and so then I just started reading books and it all comes back it's like riding a bike yeah Um, and it's so funny the big stories the ones you're supposed to tell are already already there like have you ever watched when songwriters say I wrote that song in 10 minutes my speech at Google about my story that with... That was a great speech, by the way. Thank you. Really, really well, it wasn't... I mean, I don't think professional speakers would even call it a speech. They would just say, you just told a story. It's not a speech. You know, they're all about, like, how are you adding value yeah, and yeah. telling your story? But <laughs> that story came out of me almost fully written. Wow. Like, it was... The, yeah, because it came from the heart. Right? It came from yeah. the heart, but it also... Even the order in which the events happened, happened really in threes like yeah. when i asked my mom questions it happened in threes like that's a storytelling that normally doesn't happen for some reason it it happened in reality the way that it was told i didn't have to amend it very much at all yeah the things she said were the real things she yeah, said yeah. to me you know so um whereas maybe that would actually seem quite hollywood to other people but it, it, that's actually how it did happen yeah um and one of the other signature stories in my keynote about my mum and her her empowered students, these incredible, clever women that she has, also happened exactly the way that it happened. And so sometimes this, those stories, the ones that are within you that are waiting to come out of you, um, are the ones that you need to tell. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And then so you've spoken, at, you've spoken at the UN and you've given many TEDx talks. Um, 
and if you just YouTube, you like you know you can find all your talks um, online. And and so my question is, what is the number one practical tip you can give for public speaking? I mean, aside from your you know MC voice, it's you just speak so eloquently and and very you you're able to articulate the way you speak and and the the ideas that you're trying to put across very well. Um, and you know, part of me is thinking, is that kind of nature or nurture? You know, and obviously it does take time to kind of improve. But from all of your experience over the years, what can you? What tip would you give for public speaking? So um, I have two. One is my own, and one is from Philip Collins, Tony Blair's former speechwriter. So I'll give his first because I just was in London doing the course, and he said something which was very profound. He said. Um, and he says this in his book too. You can grab it. It's called The Art of Speeches oh, and I've Presentations. That, by the way, after your it's great. I've got a I've video Skype call with his team. I'm trying to bring his course to Singapore. Oh, please do. Yes, That'd so it's great. Amazing. And he only takes 15 people, so it's incredible. Very yeah. intimate space. So I, I said um, to him, um, he said to us, he says in the book, you know, know why you're speaking. And if you don't know why you're speaking, so say you investigate why you've been asked to give this topic, and you find out that basically someone in upper management didn't want to give the speech, so it was just passed to you. You might not be the best conduit for that message. You might, there's no point just doing a speech for the sake of doing it. Know why you're doing the speech. And if the reasons are not great, don't do the speech. And I love that. Mm. I love that. Um, because no one else says that. Everyone else in this day and age is like, spam people with your content, put stuff out there, just do it, have balls, all this stuff. But what that's really saying is speaking is an honor. Mm. Having a stage is an honor. So no what you're going to be doing on that stage has to add value to people. Mm. Um, learn to say no. <laughs> learn to say no. There are so many, like me in that reality show, learn to say no. <laughs> there are so many, um, you know, people so who do it. I was asked to be on a reality show here in Singapore. A, a Singapore-themed reality show. Yeah. <laughs> and turned it down she a week. She kindly turned it down. <laughs> a week before filming after I read the contract. Um, so also I think a lot of people say yes to doing a TEDx and don't know. And I watched it, even the TEDx I did, like, and that brings us really well to the next point is my big one is preparation. Mm. You know, I'm talking 100 to 300 times rehearsing something till the words are part of your skin. And in any moment where there's a fault on stage or a light goes off or a baby cries in the room, the words are part of your skin and they come out of you like they're part of your skin. So they're part of you. They're, it doesn't, there isn't that wall of rehearsal performance. And most people I see don't prepare enough. Mm -hmm. So even at that TEDx, right up to the final rehearsals, a lot of the people doing that TEDx with me had not rehearsed um, very much. And I'm a professional speaker and rehearsing that much. So be humbled by the speaking opportunity, humbled enough to know that you owe it to your audience to prepare. Mm. Um, and in my, I have a, a storytelling speech that I did for free um, to raise money for the Stroke Association here in Singapore um, for my mum. So I don't normally speak on storytelling, but one of the things that I said in that speech was I showed Oprah Winfrey's Golden Globe speech. And the video of that, they zoom out and you see that she speaks for 10 minutes and there's no teleprompter and she's in front of a room of Hollywood's top actors. And you think if Oprah Winfrey, a billionaire, with all um, the ability to get a teleprompter who's very busy, who mm. people would easily excuse reading, if Oprah Winfrey could take the time from her schedule to rehearse, then you, the <laughs> humble, yeah, everyday please. man like me, can, can be you know, touched enough to rehearse. Yeah. 
How long is how how long would you suggest is enough? Um, I always say you've learnt it well enough, and this is a Simone Heng original IP, guys. <laughs> I shared this online. You learn it enough when you can recite the speech while you do your household chores. Wow. That's how you know enough. Yeah. So you can be that distracted washing the dishes and recite it. Yeah. That's how you know enough. Not obviously in the full performance mode, but that's how you know you know the words yeah, enough. Heart, and almost. then the blocking yeah. and all that comes okay. later. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Uh, one more question before I know yeah. you got to head off, busy woman. Um, so in terms of, I guess, um, like where do you begin in terms of planning and writing your speeches? Do you have a set framework or format? So what I, um, what I learned in London, which I was already doing, which I didn't realize, um, is that, and this is um, Philip Collins, so I'm not going to take another thought leader's words here. Um, not that I'm a thought leader, but you know what I mean. Um, he says, you've got to be able to write the central idea, the kernel of your speech on a post-it note. Mm. So you've got a central kernel, a central idea that, um, so for example, for my human connection, 45 minute keynote, the central idea is that human connection skills will be the divisive skill of the future. Okay. Okay. So they'll literally be the reason we survive and don't survive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, against the robots. So that's the central kernel. So yet you need to really know what you're saying. Like it's a central kernel and then you build out from there. Yeah, absolutely. Such, such good advice. I think our listeners will love this. Um, okay, we're going to have to wrap up now. Yes. Um, is there anything you we didn't cover that you want to mention before? No, I just think, you know, actually the here is the last thing that a friend reminded me of yesterday, and it's my former co-host at the radio, a guy called John Class, who's a professional singer. And I tend to get um, quite type A, and I tend to get very overwhelmed by all the things I want to do and the projects I've got going on and delivering top quality all the time to my clients. And he says to me, Simone, just remember to have fun. It I'm is exactly the same as you. <laughs> fundament it is fundamental to have fun. Yeah. Life enjoy is meant process. to be fun yeah. and enjoy it. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and so every time I've gone back to that, the universe is always, when I'm having fun, I get delivered so much work, so many cool projects when yeah. I'm in the fun mode. When I go into the stress mode, it's almost like I lock off a vibration where I'm not attracting any great opportunities i'm almost too close to things to mm -hmm. see how blessed and grateful yeah. i should be so guys remember to have fun yeah, you don't want to see it as too transactional i think yeah, I'm, like, I'm like a type a personality very much like i get so overwhelmed and excited but i'm like gotta do this 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 like just calm down i live in the present enjoy the process <laughs> exactly. actually and the process is so true. amazing like yeah yeah i know Sometimes even the hard like, parts are amazing even designing my slides yeah. and putting cool new colors is fun yeah it's part so. of the process all right well thank you so much for coming simone honestly it's been a pleasure to have you here on the show um thank I'll you for leave, having me i'll leave all the details and on the show notes so people can find you all of your links and everything and we'll post the um transcript conversation on the website as well um so you can find everything on anotherstartupstory.com but again, thank you so much for coming. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me.